Manamana. 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 Hello and welcome to Old Lockdown, how we laugh with today's special guest, all the way from Australia, uh, Paula Ferrari of Unmuted Comedy. Uh, Paula runs a gig, like I said, called Hello. Unmuted Comedy that I've done a couple of times and has agreed to come on the show today to talk about comedy, lockdown and whatever else that comes up. Um, and without much more walking from me, I'll just turn over to Paula and let her tell you a bit about herself. Hey, Paula. Hi. 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 Um, a bit about myself. Well, where do you want to start? <clears throat> I, I was born in a little town called Biragurra, which is like a little country town in Victoria. And there was only one hospital there, which was very small. And my mum was the only midwife as well. So she was on duty to give birth the night she was on duty to work as well as midwife. <laughs> it made it kind of awkward because, you know, she was already at work. I suppose that's a good thing. But, you know, she did have to deliver her own child. So she, she dragged Dad into it because she was very empowered. She was like, really, you know, women's rights, you know, in birth. And so she says, come on, John, you, you got me into this mess. So he, had, he got uh, co-opted, but um, he actually fainted while she was trying to deliver and uh, and that, that wasn't so helpful, but uh, yeah, she did uh, end up giving birth. And you know how babies are assigned, nowadays they say they're assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. Yeah. Well, in Biragara, you're assigned bogan at birth. And so, yeah, you, you're, born with your be- you're born with your beanie on. There are some, there's some special kids they get assigned, they get assigned dickhead at birth. <laughs> and um yeah they're the specials they're the specials but yeah we all get albania that's how we can tell who's who you know but i usually you know take mine out put it in the closet you know so that i can blend into society but yeah mum <laughs> mum was a, a, a fantastic woman she was like a just such a powerful you know go get them women's rights women should have the right in birth to give birth and so it was an interesting childhood i had because mum would come home from work really fired up with the latest video yeah. that she had of some woman covered in blood screaming and <laughs> you know which was what she called a birthing video <laughs> but for us teenagers we're kind of like oh my mom can't we just watch neighbors like the other kids <laughs> and uh and you know, it was kind of traumatic being the daughter of a, a birthing activist. In fact, it did put me off having children, even though her aim was to try and promote it. She was like, oh, I had my first orgasm when I gave birth. And I'm like, fuck, you know. Oh, God, that, that was a, you know, big call. I, I certainly didn't have any orgasms when I gave birth. It was more like, um, <laughs> yeah, just get me out of here. Get me out of here. So... Yeah, giving birth, you know, it's it's overrated. I think you, actually women should, like, you know, these labour-saving devices that have been developed to help women with their, you know, washing and vacuuming and cleaning. I think yeah. they need a labour-saving device for labour, you know, <laughs> something else just so women don't have to go through labour. That would be the ultimate labour-saving device, I reckon, so you don't have to go through all that, all that shit. Anyway, that's my opinion. That's the next <laughs> advance in women's technology would be uh, a labour-saving device. A labour-saving so you don't have device. To actually, give birth. Yeah. Give birth but away. I did have children, so yeah. So getting well, I, th- a, I a think the way we're going. 
I think the way we're going, that'll all be done by machine and selected by some company of Bill Gates anyway. So I think I think you might be relieved of that too. As long as I can, as long as I can choose my breeding, you know, my breeding partner, I'm happy to to go with the machine, the machine element. Are the machines um, do it? Yeah, because it's that's the main important thing when you're having children is who you breed with. I think. That's what I tell my doctor. And my, I asked my son the other day when he was at the doctor's, I said, oh, why, tell the doctor why you're so adorable. And he says to the doctor, oh, because I have mostly my mother's DNA. <laughs> Which I thought yeah, was well, a very good answer. I, I hate to tell um, you, but that, that, but that, yeah. so, that sounds like a suck-up. That doesn't sound like... <laughs> no, that sounds he, like an opinion solicited, not one freely, freely given. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he he definitely he definitely thinks you know thinks the world of me. And I had yeah. twins my first time around. People used to ask me how many children I wanted, and I'd say I'll start with one. And so of course I started with twins. Oh. And and that was just a nightmare. It was just an absolute nightmare. But anyway, they 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 say you know do twins feel pain at the same time? And I can confirm that they do feel pain at the same time when I'm banging their heads together. <laughs> But um, my it's like ex, it's extreme to siblings really because the the twins you know are so competitive they've been competitive since like birth you know yeah. and like one of them kicked the other one in the head like in utero so <laughs> they're not exactly best friends. I Who's said to my, get an early start in the competition. Know, I, <laughs> I said if you ever wish for something in your life what what it is what is it that you would wish for more than anything in your life and my daughter said oh to be an only child <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like oh god that's gonna gonna be a bit hard to arrange that one and I was like well you know just keep going the way you're going you kids you lazy little shit because um mummy might be able to organize something because I did discover during lockdown that that my my children are too lazy to kill themselves. They expect <laughs> their parents to do it for them. So I'm Yeah, but don't forget, that, don't forget but, the, twi know, the twins the twins will happily do each other. So keep an eye on that at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's the little brother that the little brother that is has my one of my daughters has got her eye on. So <laughs> So how many kids um, have you got? Yeah, but you know too many. <laughs> too many. <laughs> Oh yeah, because I, I had the twins and then I had the little boy. I know he just came out of out of nowhere. So then I had three little ones. It just about set me crazy, really. And there's a lot <laughs> they don't tell you about parenting, like all the crying. I've yeah. I haven't stopped for 13 years. But yeah, they know they they they're okay. They're okay. They're 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 surviving. They're surviving. They think I'm a pretty good mother. I told them though the other day. I always have this thing. I say to them. Well, if you don't like what I'm doing, and then, you know, you can just tell your therapist like I do. And, <laughs> and one of them the other day said, Mummy, I think we need to see a therapist. <laughs> and I said, that's fine. I don't mind. You can see a therapist. I said, but just remember, if you tell them I'm a bad parent, the government will take you away. <laughs> anyway, they said, don't worry, it's not, it's, it's so not about you, you, so, yeah. I've no. seen on Facebook that you're living in an island just now. Have you always lived in Ireland, or what was the island again? No, this is this is the holiday house. 
because I married well. You know, I, <laughs> I had a list when I got married. I one of the things on the list was you know a holiday house on Phillip Island. So right, right. I didn't. The second time around, I didn't marry for love, Jimmy. I married for you know breeding. <laughs> have some spirit, some very quality, uh, you know, sort of security elements involved in the second time because, uh, like, I was totally in love with my first husband. He was wonderful, uh, or should I say, my dead husband, oh. and um, he was very wonderful. We were totally in love, but um, he he was an artist and he had no income, and I was sort of like, this is really not very practical as a long term kind of. Uh, you know, venture. So, you know, <laughs> if I want to have a family, he's not he's not exactly the most stable kind of guy, even though he's a lot of fun, you know. But when you're yeah. in your 20s, you know, you don't really feel worried about that. But then when I found out, like, you know, I found out that he had a terminal illness. And right. when I, I had I had it confirmed, like I was late 20s, I said, are you sure? Are you sure it's terminal? And then I said, yeah, okay, let's get married. <laughs> because, you know, I've got the light at the end of the tunnel there. <laughs> and um, and uh, I knew that there, there might be a bit more chance, you know, for us to survive a bit longer than my parents did, a bit more happiness. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, that was an interesting marriage. Um, he, yeah, he, uh, he went into a coma one day and because he was very sick and I, I only know coma, what you do when someone's in a coma, when you are you know, from watching Bold and the Beautiful, that was my, my education. So, you know, they go into the bedside and they tell them all the, the deep stories and then they, you know, they sing to them. And I thought, oh, I'll sing to him. You know, he's in a coma, I'll sing to him. So he knows I'm here. And I, on, I only knew two songs, which were Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And, um, and the other one was You Are My Sunshine, My Only Sunshine. You know? And when he woke up, what was his first words? Shut up. <laughs> well, I, oh well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. He, he, I woke him up out of a coma, and he leant over to me and he said, "Will you please shut up?" And I was so happy, like, yeah, woke someone out of a coma with my singing, and I was kind of pleased with that. But you know, didn't get credit for it at the time. But I thought, yeah, I'm killing this palliative care business. But anyway. <laughs> So the, my second husband, my second husband was um, my current husband. I call him. He was the friend, <laughs> the best friend of my my the dead husband. So yeah. he, but I was much more practical, much more practical with my choice there because I thought, right, I am like this is the the biological clock is like going off. The alarm is going off. I need to get you know get active here if I want to have a family. And he was, you know, he was a nice guy. He was very very kind and he had two houses and a stable job and I thought yeah good breeding material so um <laughs> that, that's how I started that's how I started with with him but yeah but I am also a speech pathologist and a teacher speech pathologist and, um which means I spent yeah yeah so I studied speech pathology and then I studied teaching which means I spent half my time trying to get kids to talk and the other half trying to get them to shut up um yeah but it, it, it's it's tough it's tough but yeah that was that's the that's the the occupation but yeah then I my mum was an activist and it's relevant because I became an activist so mum had her birthing rights activist right, right. activism and I became an activist for the clitoris you know right. against well, female genital mutilation yeah, yeah I started a, a charity because I, I thought it, it 
it is and it's everywhere and young girls in Australia and, and in the UK everywhere are being subjected to this really it's a very difficult subject to tackle as well because it, oh it's the worst I wish I'd chosen whales for God's sake to get <laughs> pa pa passionate about like everybody loves whales you know but um FGM is just fraught it's totally fraught because you're telling parents what they should do with their children and often they they're very committed to their reasons for doing it so you have to sort of really be very I don't know you you know they tell you oh they do it for an act of love and you yeah. sort of have to say well maybe you could find another act of love like I don't know buy them an ice cream <laughs> read them a book <laughs> find, you know, find a, an alternative to to cutting off their genitals um and yeah so i i started that but you know i so of course you know being a, a educated by my mother about how to you know involve the family i was like bringing videos home for my kids <laughs> <laughs> female genital mutilation well I mean, at least at least you carried on the tradition of lots of blood i guess like it carried on the worst the tradition of lots of blood and the videos the tradition yes yeah <laughs> Just, yeah, just but they're very those those clitoris videos are pretty hard to find. <laughs> yeah, no, I was that was boom. just a very boom, boom, very yeah. So no, considered joke. My kids are very aware of like when they were yeah. I didn't quite you know what my problem was there. I didn't quite hear your accent properly, and I feel bad because you said a joke and I I couldn't understand it. It's okay. I got I said it three times so. <laughs> I couldn't understand. And it. I, should, I, should, I should have even said it once so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Oh, well, sorry, <laughs> my ears didn't didn't adjust. I've got a pretty good internal autocorrect. Yeah. <laughs> so as a, as a speech as a speech pathologist, you can kind of work out usually what people mean, you know, when they say yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you can you can re reinterpret it. Like, and I hope yeah. people can for me too, because I think I've sent I, th I think the subject of um, the mm. female genital mutilation it must be really hard to. To avoid accusations of racism and things like that, without because it's such a cultural thing. Yeah, well, thing. this is why people, this is why people don't address it because they sort of yeah. think people need to keep it in their in their communities. And the ultimate in racism, really, because yeah. they're not protecting the little girls who are most at risk, and they're the yeah. ones that we need to be protecting. So, if look, if I was racist and against FGM, and I've been accused of all these things um and not intersectional enough and i'm like well you know fgm is not exactly my problem you know yeah. it's in terms of intersectional feminism intersectional feminism it's pretty much you know it's outside my usual feminist kind of you know purview purview really so i don't know i find yeah. i have to take those accusations pretty you know with a grain of salt but you do have yeah. to be you know, you have to work together with people to, you know, get change. You can't just kind of tell them they're wrong and bang them over their head with, with you know, criticism because people are, you know, not really responsive to making change then. But you can't just kind of say, oh, it's up to you to make the change. You're the parent. Yeah. Just here's some education and, um, you know, this is how long it is. Now if you go and don't do it because parents don't, like, they're, they're so committed to, to the act as a, important part of their parenting that they they say well it might hurt the child it might have these outcomes but we still need to do it so that the child is you know has honor or is going to be marriageable or you know there's yeah. all of these 
reasons why they give and you know so you're sort of fighting but my charity has taken it a more, sort of a more of an angle now towards helping women who need surgery who need to have reconstruction because there's actually surgical techniques now that you can um you can apply very simple ones to women who've been injured through fgm and i've dozens of women now have been um operated on in Australia and there's been a huge change to their lives a huge yeah. change so and it's not just black women and African women and Muslim women it's white Australian women too you know in the 50s and 60s women took their little girls to the doctor and had clitoridectomies done because they thought they touched themselves too much Fucking and one woman I know cut her own daughter's because she was a Scientologist and not a Scientologist, a Christian scientist, and they didn't believe in doctors. So she just did it herself at home. So Whoa. it's a definitely, yeah, it's definitely some stories you hear. So it's, it's sort of not, you know, it's not sort of funny. I think what you've just said, I think what you just said highlights the need for education and understanding and empathy is, is to fix, to, to resolve it, you know, because it's, I mean, it's a, it's a horrible thing for anyone. And it does. It yeah, doesn't matter the it, background. It, it just doesn't matter who they are. It's just it just shouldn't shouldn't be happening yeah. to anyone, you know. And it, yes, yes, yes. It's just that being a girl is what your main risk factor is. So yeah. how you do it. But the thing is that even though people know it's illegal, they still do it. And so yeah, yeah. How, yeah look, it's just such a hard, difficult. Like I've been. I started a charity called No FGM Australia, and I had other survivors involved. And it just went, like it sort of, it, it didn't last, like it lasted a few years, but um, we had falling out. And because it's such a fraught, fraught issue, you know, even though my good intentions were there, they clashed, you know, in some way. And I lost support from the survivors who were in it yeah. because they, I don't know, it, it's complicated, you know, but yeah. everyone, we had their heart in the right place, but how to do it right, you know, how to do yeah. it right. That's the hard part. So now we're just focusing on helping women get restored and working with the women's hospital. And yeah, it's, it's a bit amazing the last year or two because we actually had, I actually arranged to have a surgeon trained in the clitoral, clitoral restoration and there wasn't one doctor in Australia who could do that. Right. So he went, over, he went over to Kenya and did this amazing trip to Kenya and learned how to do the technique and came back to Australia and just started doing it for women with, for free. Really? was never available to them you know the the gynecologists and obstetricians were sort of gatekeepers for this um surgery and they were saying no it, it's not proven enough there's not enough evidence and i feel as if that was uh blocking in a way that wasn't fair because anytime there's any other injury to a body part you don't go oh well that nose got cut up like got damaged but you know we, we don't have evidence to know how to fix the nose because you, yeah. you, you know what a nose should look like, yeah. you know? We've got nose doctors. They know what it should look like. You can reconstruct things so they can be the best that they could be, you know, regardless of the injury. And I think, you know, a hand, anything, a doctor or a surgeon would know that there's never been an exact injury like that before. You just yeah. look at what they've got and you assess it and then you adjust and you, you know, restore function as best as possible. And the doctors were just blocking all the time, blocking the um, the surgery coming to Australia, which was so frustrating. But now one surgeon, one surgeon, one plastic surgeon got trained, Mansour Merkazemi, and uh, he's doing amazing things. Like there's one woman 
who I met years ago, five years when I started this journey trying to get restoration. And she was 50, 48 or something, lived her whole life just feeling like a miserable dark, had the dark, dirty secret. And just now she's had restoration. She's just amazing. She's got a whole new life. She's got a new lover. She's got new plans. It's not a problem for her anymore. So her life is completely changed now. And um, I look, why shouldn't the other 200,000 women in Australia have that? Well, hopefully more people will get trained up because that sounds like a lot of work for one man. Yeah, exactly. I'm doing it. Are you smoking? I'm going to smoke. That's okay, man. But, um, so, going on to comedy. That's my background. <laughs> how, long yeah, have that's you, that's how long have you been doing comedy? Well, I did my first set in January 19, no, 20, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, wrong, wrong century, 2017, I did my first set, I think, yes, 2017, I was hanging out with comedians and just going to parties and things, and a lot of my friends were comedians, I was going out with a comedian. Okay. So I was just hanging along, you know, but they thought I was funny my friends my comedy friends thought I was funny which was nice but and then they said oh you should get up and do a set you know get up and do a set and I was like nah 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 and then they said go on yeah next gig we're we're booking you and I was like oh shit okay so I had a month to prepare and I thought well what am I going to talk about of course I had to talk about FGM because that's the most important thing to me right yeah so I did a set I did my first set and it really went well like surprisingly well and everybody who wanted me to fail probably got a bit of a shock because I did very well on my first set and <laughs> and um and then it's just what you know what it's like yeah you get it you have a good set and then you're like oh wow I might do this again <laughs> And this, then, this time you know, next year will be headlining the Sydney Opera House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think, you know, you're up and down, you're up and down. There's a lot to learn, isn't there? Oh, so yeah, definitely. I, but, you know, but, you know I, the, the, week, the, the first month or so, you, you're like, you think you're there as the new comedy messiah. You know, you're like... <laughs> well, yeah. The, it turns the out you're not a messiah, was... you're just a naughty boy, you know? Like, but... <laughs> Got to fit in a... a like a Brian quote whenever you can yeah um yeah <laughs> yeah so no I I started trying to write material and started going to gigs and everything but you know I had some kind of backlash from like I as I said I was going out with this guy and he didn't like my comedy he didn't like it he didn't like me doing it and I, so I got a lot of yeah it was really hard to kind of against that getting sort of constant criticism so it wasn't really until after we broke up that I started feeling more, you know, free. Yeah. I started feeling more free. I think I think he didn't like, you know, if I was talking about things that were personal. And often female comedians, you know, they talk about their personal lives and, you know, their sex lives or whatever. I think, it, you know, it was probably difficult hearing things that maybe he thought were, should have been just a personal thing. And I think you have to be open, you have to be raw if you're going to really, you know, connect with people and I am that's my nature my nature is very much this is who I am and you know mm. I I find it very hard like boundaries there's the boundaries thing again you know yeah, I find it hard yeah, to bring, we start recording, bring yeah. them back in yeah yeah and so bringing back in boundaries and trying to you know sort of put limits on what I could and couldn't talk about really limited yeah. my my comedy I think but I think, I think... Would it always feel like I was 
I think in comedy, like, I mean, I, I was, I was kind of, there's quite a gossipy scene, I guess, in comedy. And I was, I've got a lot in my background that basically I, I, w- I wouldn't like to be out anywhere else, like stuff that I, I was in prison for six weeks, 20 years ago, but that became a gossip issue. My addiction issues, the fact that I'd been a carer for eight years looking after my mum with some Norman Bates. Like people were basically gossiping about that, mainly helped along by somebody I was very close to. So I, rather than just like, you know, hide and shame and run away, I just embraced everything negative about myself and made it part of my act. Yeah. You know? And but yeah, it's, that's it's, funny. Yeah, yeah. And it's the thing is that's as well. Your, it's, and that's and that's your yeah, that's you. And that's I think what people like about like comedians I like, you hear about them and, you know, they yeah. twist world world experiences into something that you're going, oh, yeah, that's a good way of looking at that shit yeah. situation. You know? Yeah, it's like an alchemy. It's, it's like turning lead so, into gold, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I sort of got a new lease of life in my comedy and I, I thought, well, when lockdown started, I had a friend, Sarah Lamberg, who has been on the Unmuted thread too, and she was organising just parties like at the start of lockdown for people to kind of just, you know, come on and do a little act or whatever, you know, sing a song or say a poem or something, you know, just to try and keep people a little bit connected during lockdown. So yeah. I, I said to her, oh, I went on to one of her parties and then she had another one and I said, oh, maybe I could do, you know, do a tie five for your, for your party. And she's like, sure, why not? And so I did it. And I thought, hey, this is actually, this actually works. This, yeah. you know, form of doing comedy where I'm just sitting here talking to a screen and there's a huge, you know, there's seven or eight people listening. You can see them laughing. You can hear yeah. them laughing. So the jokes are working and it's comedy. It's, just another variation of the you know the mode of comedy so I I was quite inspired by that and I said to Sarah oh we we should um do a comedy room call it unmuted and like Sarah was doing other things in her life like you know I think she was fighting cancer (laughs) something something huge so she probably wasn't really that able to you know and she wasn't doing comedy herself then yeah. But after that, I was <clears> like, oh, let's start it. I'll call it Unmuted. And the idea being we are unmuted and that we're together and that, you know, it's like a normal audience so that you can get the feedback and get, you know, connect. Yeah. And it just sort of went from, you know, there. And it's like we've done 36 gigs now and we've got friends from all over the world and people are sudden like have come to terms with this as, an, as another mode of, of being a comic and yeah. of sharing ideas and it, it was great to have that option like because things happen to you you know like I remember the day I was trying to get new internet on my house and the internet lady was trying to help me and someone else had already set something up and she hadn't done it properly and a lady was trying to help me out and she said look I don't know how she set it up but I can't change it and I said look it's okay I'll get over it I'll learn to live with it you know don't worry yeah. and the lady was just so impressed with me not being a cunt <laughs> she, just, she was just like she goes oh I, I could help you in a second Paula I would and she gave me her private email address she gave me her phone number she was just like so amazed that someone wasn't just abusing her for not being you know whatever giving her whatever and anyway so I thought oh you know 
I wanted to write a story about that. And so I, I said a little story about that. And I said, oh, you know, and then at the end of the, the session, she sent me her, her um, you know, survey, quality survey to fill in, <laughs> which I did. I filled it in as like, oh, this woman wasted my time. She was such a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really do that. That's just the punchline. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, you know, but that was something funny that came out of just being in the experience I was having at the time. And I was like, oh, it's good that I've got a chance to really tell this story, you know, to people and share it. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, it's, it's been pretty interesting for me to do on YouTube. I've done it twice, I think. And it's like, it's nine o'clock on a Monday morning for me. So it's like the start of the work week. But I'm sitting in a gig with, yeah. you know, uh, I think it's been 12 other people, like, and a few other, few other audiences, like, you know, first thing in a Monday morning, it's quite um, surreal, but it's fun, you know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I know, we've loved having you on and, yeah. you know, hearing your, your jokes, and that's the great thing, is hearing people's material that's outside our bubble, you know, because I'm yeah. in Melbourne, and you, you've got rooms in Melbourne, they're run by the same people, and the same people kind of go to them, and they go around, and they, everybody comments sort of performs the same material for each other yeah. you know going around in all these rooms and with unmuted you were getting voices from everywhere and just you know people yeah. like Nabumi I don't know if you saw her and just some of the um Ryan and 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 uh you know just a range of different comic voices from US yeah. and like um Jeremy I don't know if you were on when Jeremy Worm Jones came on but no I don't, he, I don't he was just he just killed me Alizar obviously and yeah just I and also but the friends you have that you know in real life in Melbourne were also there regularly every week so you got to catch up with them and yeah touch base with them and so but you know I love that I don't know if you and Nick sorry um Kim Nash and Michael Monkhouse were connected before lockdown yeah I've, I've, known, I've, known, I've known both of them for a while because I've done, I've done Kim's um Christmas special. Um, I was co-hosting Kim's Christmas special on New Year's Eve, uh, Christmas Eve there, and um, I've known Mike, Michael since, know since the start. They've both but been on the podcast, been... actually. Yeah, yeah. But is this through? The, no, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know them in person. No, no. No. I've so ended up doing like about a with... hundred gigs with Michael, and I keep telling him that his yeah. negative, his negative attitude and low energy drive me crazy. <laughs> but, but he's not changing either of those for me. <laughs> he's funny he's just a bit autistic the way he'll just throw out whatever jokes at whatever time it doesn't matter who's there or what yeah, and yeah. some in the I don't know if you were in the, the unmuted thread it was one of the things I thought to do differently from the regular rooms was to create a community because I, I had that in my mind of well instead of just having who's on that week and having a thread where we just sort of talk about what's happening that week let's build it and connect yeah. people you know even if they're not so that was something that was different about unmuted and so it's gradually been growing but then now that it's bigger we're finding that there are people who are very diverse in their comedy style and not yeah. necessarily you know so they might not necessarily tolerate so michael's was a bit controversial occasionally and um, <laughs> he, i think he explained that uh, in the he, podcast he's, try, he's trying to like He's kind of inspired by um, Rick Mayo and the young ones and that Cliff Richard obsession. Like, but he was talking about how he's done those Spice Girls jokes to a crowd that didn't expect him to do Spice Girl jokes and it just it didn't get a good response. <laughs> 
Yeah, I look, I, I was totally sold on Michael. The first time I saw him, I was like, yeah. I fucking love this guy. I love him. And then, um, but then I found one of my friends left the group because of Michael. And I'm like, mm. oh, fuck, not everybody loves Michael then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's like, oh, man, but, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm a libertarian, you know, I'm not there to say to people do this don't do that you know i sort of i don't want to be turned into a like an authority of like come on everybody yeah. come on children don't make me use my teacher voice you know and so some people did offend like get offended and yeah. openly offended and i was like hoping there were certain people that would lose the group i was like in a way I wanted michael to just play up a little bit longer to get rid of those <laughs> ones as well yeah. because <laughs> There are only certain few that got offended, and I was like, "Shit, I shouldn't have shouldn't have added them." Um, you know, I mean, as, but, as, as a persona, but I think I think it can inhabits it so well that it's people think that he's actually like that, just this embittered. I know, I hater, know what you, know, you like, mean, and that's what I've discovered yeah. about him. He's got this underside, and he's very, you know, got a lovely, real intellectual kind of mentality about comedy <laughs> thinks about it you know he's got a lot to share about it and i yeah. i really like him and he's every time i see him he says hey how you going are you all right and i take that at face value that he yeah. means it you know i don't take that as just a casual thing he i think he's quite a caring person and yeah. i've picked that up about him so it's funny though comics that are like marshmallow but they come across as being, you know, like, oh, fuck this, fuck that, fuck this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Mind you, I'm like that too sometimes. The other day in the morning, I was like, fuck you, birds, fucking nature. And I think, um, I think and that's, I that's, like, that's part of comedy. It's the part that you, you'll find that the people that seem darkest are actually the most sort of empathetic and caring a lot of the yeah. time. And a lot of the ones that are like really sort of basically the opposite is, is, is often true as well, you know? It's, um, it's, yeah, I think what people find funny doesn't indicate um, the type of person that they are. Really, you know, it's yeah. um, or, or it's not, it's not, it's not really. Having done comedy for a whole two two years and a couple of months, I've I've started mm. to learn that it's you can't really judge a, an entire person in their comedy style or what they find funny. You know, unless unless they're like actively you know laughing at asylum seekers or something, or you know just like you know. Like misogynist or whatever, you know. Like if that, it's um, it's it's a very strange thing, comedy. Basically, is what I'm trying yeah. to say. And and the thing is, too, I don't just put on shows for comics. You know, yeah. I put on shows for punters. I put on shows for audience, and that's a really important part of Unmuted. I don't know if you've noticed that, but yeah, I I like that say Michael's jokes really appeal to people like Jeremy, you know, Jeremy and Michael um, Reynolds as well. And, yeah. you know, you just hear them wetting their pants over it. Now, to me, that that's providing a good show because, you, you yeah. know, you're connecting people with the, the, the right crowd and it's not always going to be the right crowd. But since I got, you know, <laughs> all of the, the uh, critiques I got, you know, from the early days of my doing comedy, I realised that, you know, everybody has a different approach to comedy and not every, you're not all right. Yeah. And if someone's laughing at you, then you're a comedian. You yeah. Know? <laughs> totally. Someone's, you know, don't sort of, yeah, but I think comics can get a bit hoity about, oh, what's real comedy? Yeah. You know? I, I find it quite ironic that I find it quite ironic that there's been so much um, 
there's been so much government lack of assistance for the comedy industry as a whole and comedians, working comedians and things, and people are saying that we're not being treated like we're an art form. But then comedians don't treat other comedians like they're an art form. Comedians always like to talk down to other comedians yeah. or, or say, say something's not comedy. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. maybe we should be taking a huge lesson from all of this, you know? I think you're right. I agree 100% that it's an art form that develops over years and practice and there's different types and styles like all art forms. And you wouldn't go into a, an, a gallery and say, oh, that's shit, oh, that's shit. They, they're not an artist. You know, it's like, no, it's just that's not the art for me, you know, and yeah. it's fine. It doesn't mean they're not an artist, you know. <laughs> they're probably making more money than you, you dumb shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, I, oh, yeah, I, I, I have discovered. I have curated a few lineups of both on in person and online, and there's been a, there's always been a couple of acts that I personally don't find funny that doesn't tickle my funny bone, but I, I appreciate yeah. the, the artistry and what that person's doing. You know, mm. so I mean, mm. I, I, I wouldn't sit there laughing my head off, but I respect the fact that other people find it funny. So. Why wouldn't you put them on? I'm not going to sit and judge them on where those jokes came from or yeah. or, or what they're saying or anything like that. It's like if it's funny yeah. and it's not actually it's not actively yeah. hateful, then I would put them on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I mean, the the, the main yeah. thing is, it's, yeah, it's can I go out to be funny? You know, like even if I don't find it funny, mm. if other people are laughing, then you know, I mean, it's something to do with my sense of humour, not yeah. to do with them not yeah. being an artist. You know. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's how I like to think too. And like, I, I must admit, I do try and put on the ones that I find funny because you know I've got the power. <laughs> I have You're got the power. power to crazy do that. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but I do put on comics who don't necessarily appeal. But there's only one, two actually, my ex, <laughs> and one comic that I said, "No, I'm sorry, you, you you can't come on again until you've improved a bit because like it's just." it was bringing me down and it was like, who am I going to squeeze in between to bring the night back up again? Yeah. And I felt like I need higher quality acts in my show because it's becoming a better, like known more, you know, it's getting known for being a good quality show. I don't want to make it into like a, you know, a sort of an open mic um, thing where people are really just not really doing what I think is, is good comedy and it's, it's not working off. either like and it's not working either that's the other thing if, yeah. if it's not working for me fair enough but if it's also not working at, at all and it's just making people feel uncomfortable and getting complaints <laughs> when you start getting complaints from the audience that's also when it's a uh, a sign <laughs> but it's, it's it's such a strange thing comedy i mean it is it's basically magic you know and it's it's it's, it's amazing watching them um, people laugh and been, been able to make people laugh and find and not only that finding kind of validation and things that that basically bother you you know it's, it alleviates any kind of pain that comes with that you know it's like yeah 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 absolutely I agree and if you're relating to something you know like I I'm you know I'm always going through struggles and I try and you know bring it into some form of comic style so that it can you can bring it out bring a difficult subject out but also look at it from a lighter side which just makes life easier yeah. you know if you can look at things from a lighter side but you're also addressing this important issue that people are facing and 
you know, just making it seem funnier. So when you see it in real life, it's just like, ha, 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 yeah, that's, you know, that's not yeah. as bad because, you know, of that joke I heard or whatever. Yeah. I know I, when I was a school teacher, I used to work with some shitty teachers, like the kids I love, the kids I love, but the teachers, institutionalised teachers that have just been teaching their whole lives. And are just thinking in boxes and they, they, they become inhuman almost almost like yeah. robots and i had one teacher who was just horrific to me and she i don't know it was a day after a funeral of my father-in-law and i was devastated and i don't know i'd done the work program wrong she came into my classroom and yelled at me in front of my class right the day after my father-in-law's funeral <laughs> it was like the worst sort of behavior you could ever expect from any human being and I just in my mind was just thinking you know all these kids in this class you know they've got their diagnoses some of them have got ASD you know attention um, sorry autism spectrum disorder and ADD mm. attention deficit disorder and then you've got the teachers with OMFG, JBLA, NFP, which is, oh my fucking God, just behave like a normal fucking person. <laughs> and I and I was like, yeah, you've got a diagnosis too, bitch. <laughs> and I just helped a little bit. It just helped yes. me get through the day when I just came up with that acronym for her diagnosis, that <laughs> particular one. And I told my children, like I run my jokes past my children because that's why I had them. Because, uh, <laughs> I didn't learn boundaries. I didn't learn boundaries as a child and my parents didn't really have boundaries. They, they had pretty, you know, deficient childhoods in some ways as well. One brought up a Catholic, so she's had all this guilt thing about, you know, bodies and human sexuality. <laughs> and so she's trying to make my life, my life, you know, just free of guilt. And so like, I actually, like, this is a bit dark, but I actually got raped when I was 12 oh, by yeah. the, son yeah but it's okay because it's funny now <laughs> by the son of her boyfriend at the time her lover and right. you know her response to me was oh should we put you on the pill <laughs> it's like oh. in a, inappropriate mom <laughs> inappropriate you know yeah. she didn't know boundaries either and then when I told dad that same story years later when I was in my 20s or 30s even I can't remember I said dad I want to tell you something that happened to me and um, I told him what happened, and he goes, "Oh well, I can't be everywhere. Can't be everywhere." <laughs> oh, so he automatically assumed, assumed like. And I said, "Retract, retract the responsibility that wasn't his." Yeah. <laughs> inappropriate. No, no, no. It was yeah. yeah, no, but it was my. I got raped by someone, and I said, "Told Dad that," and he goes, "Oh well, what do you expect? I can't be everywhere. You know, mm. like protecting you." Mm. And I was like, "Inappropriate, <laughs> inappropriate, Dad." So anyway, I always run things past my children to find out if they're inappropriate. And um, that, that's how I, that, often that's how I get my taglines too. Because I have, to, I have to bring your dictionary and look up inappropriate just, just to be sure. <laughs> I, I had a joke, I had a joke about boundaries at the start of lockdown, actually. You know, I've got a, a bunch of lockdown material at the start. When I say I've, I've, I'm, I'm an anxious, paranoid, depressed, recently bereaved, unemployed, cover addict, suffering from symptoms of complex PTSD. And I say one thing about complex PTSD is at least I've got some boundaries that are now pretty well defined. Like with a two meter thing, but it just it didn't ever seem to work. So I dropped it from my set because the, the, your boundaries are defined within two meters. You, nobody's allowed within two meters. So 
finally, at last, I've got some boundaries. Ah, but yes. I, I think I have to think and of a better way to tell on that. Oh, well, only because I only understood every third word, but I got it. I got the premise. I got the premise. And I agree because as a woman, as a woman who is frequently at risk of having her boundaries, you know, kind of violated and that's growing up as a child. And, you know, that sexual assault was just the first, you know, there were so many that I was exposed to it later on and blah, blah, and people, you know, constant, but when coronavirus came along people don't want to come near you like women are just as much of a threat as men because they could have it you know and I was like really empowered by this possibility that I could (laughs) be a disease carrier the new magic power of (laughs) repelling men yeah yeah it was really empowering it was really good for feminism it's just like yeah bro yeah bro come over here let me you know breathe on you you know yeah so the the threat didn't take off the mask like yeah come on, I, you know, I spit in your general direction. And that's sort of what people were doing, you know, and uh, there's actually a crime now called, um, it's called, um, oh, it's called malicious coronavirus coughing. Yeah, I've heard of that. Malicious yeah. coronavirus coughing. And and of course, now, now there's porn also called, called <laughs> malicious coronavirus coughing, <laughs> which is, you know, Everybody's just coughing well, on, you know. Anything worth its salt gets a porn, gets a porn parody, doesn't it? Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so malicious coronavirus coughing, you know, that was very empowering for women, and so, uh, we could do that just as well as men. But yeah, it's certainly um, the boundaries that have come with like corona. I'm, I'm happy with, you know. Yeah, I can, I can put a mask on, and if I'm like feeling like shit, I just put a mask on and it's like hey no bad face days now I've got, got, my mask. <laughs> got my mask you have bad hair days you put on a hat and now you just put on a mask and you, you get a lot actually get a lot more attention you know yeah. because my hair my hair is quite Im- impressive and you get like looks people kind of go oh you know what's behind that hair you know <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully they don't look too disappointed, but I just put on the hair hoodie, you know, then. So, but, um, you know, seriously, though, society does put these restrictions on, on women and it's kind of nice to have the bit more freedom about, you know, what, what you can do. And like some friends of mine were just going around at night riding posty bikes and nobody paid attention to them because everyone thought they were just Uber Eats riders. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I was gonna say something else about the yeah the, the that thing. But anyway, lost my point. <laughs> All right, well, have um, you got have you got any plans thing. to take? Have you got any plans to take Unmuted live once you know if, if and when live live comedy becomes a thing again? Well, you know, it's possible, I guess. I, I I've been talking to one of the producers from Adelaide who wants to set up an, a gig in Melbourne and I haven't sort of talked about it as an unmuted gig but when I do my next gig I was planning to start by asking everyone to unmute <laughs> yeah. themselves. Well I mean you see <laughs> a lot of that you see, you see a lot of people just doing their gig and either exiting or you know just unmute or muting for, for everyone else and it's like that's not really the spirit of it you know you need to you need to participate you know. Yeah. I like that yeah, it's actually yeah. called so, unmuted. I mean, I figured I figured that was the genesis of that name. Unmute, yeah, unmute your fucker. Yeah, <laughs> everyone unmute. And if you don't, like, only unless you've you know you've got 
something going on in the background, yeah. you know. Yeah. That you don't want us to see. Yeah. Unmute unless, unless you've got unless you've got a loud dog. Yeah, yeah. 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 Dogs and <laughs> you know, if they still I, I learned how to do the spotlighting because what was happening initially is any noise any noise that happened was, you know, the camera would go yeah, to that yeah. screen. So spotlighting, you learn how to kind of manage the manage the gigs, but yeah. I remember in some of my first, first few gigs you would laugh and then the spotlight would come on you and you were afraid to laugh after that. <laughs> I know. So you're not, you've got to have someone there spotlighting. And the last gig we did, you were there, weren't you, when we yeah. had two MCs? Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. yeah. That was Olga no, I, I was and, and, uh, and Arika. Amna. Uh, yeah. and Amna. Amna. I was a little bit slow at first <clears throat> because what I, I discovered was they were both starting to do banter and I was just spotlighting the one that was to intro the next act. Then yeah. I realised that they were doing banter and so I had to try and get them both on screen so they could sort of <laughs> you know, do the yeah, co-banter. Yeah. And I thought that worked really, that was quite fun. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so there's different things that, you know, Zoom you learn as you go, yeah. Mm, but yeah, I, I definitely, um, yeah, I'm, I'm finding it very, like so many possibilities, so many possibilities. Yeah. Well, if you do take it live, new bit if you do mm -hmm. take it live, it's going to cost you a fortune in airfare and hotels if you want to keep the same flavour. <laughs> yeah well i guess you could have it so you've got some comics live and you've got people there on screens like you could set up all the ipads and you could just have you know you yeah. have your regulars on your yeah. ipads and then you could have a few i don't know you could you could definitely mix it up and oh, well that, that was I've me trying it. to that was me trying to blag a free trip to australia for the sake of a five minute spot but i think i might have failed so <laughs> no, no, no I, I, I'm thinking big too. We could do that. We could hire a plane, get you all, <laughs> get you all out here. God, that would be fun. Imagine if all of us unmuted people <laughs> coming together. I am having a party for my, like I'm turning 50 in, in just a Ooh. few weeks. And um, I had this joke at the Tokyo <laughs> Mike gigs where <laughs> I said, oh, you know, so it gives you, you know, a chance to reflect and, you know, time and looking you know like yeah i've only got really three more fuckable weeks according <laughs> <laughs> to, to uh the hollywood you know once you turn 50 or if you're a if you're a female that's it you know and that's it for for you and um i think things have got know, a bit better on that front though in the past well they uh, have because years. of guilt guilt porn that's why guilt, guilt porn, porn. <laughs> Yeah, and I discovered <laughs> gilf porn, and my friend told me about it, Gary. He said, oh, what about gilf? Because I knew about milk porn, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah there's gilf porn. And I was like, what's gilf porn? And he's like, hot grandmas. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, fuck yeah. I've, I got so, so much hope after hearing about <laughs> gilf porn, because I thought, oh, there's always going to be someone who wants to fuck you. <laughs> well, I'm quite grateful for gilf porn and milk porn, because if it wasn't for those, I would feel like a pervert every time I turned on Pornhub. <laughs> yeah. like 19 and 20 year olds so so i can i can yeah. reasonably I'm convince younger, myself that I'm, I'm not i'm not a pervert when i turn on porn up because the girls are roughly my own age so yeah so it's all right <laughs> how old are you how old are you i'm 44 mm. 44 so. good age 44 is a good age i was I well was i think about that quite a lot like i mean obviously i would like to have a much younger body like and, and not, you know, like have a sore back every two days and stuff and, you know, like just and like feel what I'm, you know, slightly breaking down. But at the same time as well, I would not like to be in my 20s in this day and age. 
You know? Yeah. And it's just there's so much the kids of are going through, man. That they yeah. like, and I'm I'm calling them kids. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I thought I was an adult when I was in my twenties, but it's yeah. just seems that the world's so different from when from when I was that age. That I'm kind of glad that I'm I've got the the spirit and the mind that I've got just now. I mean, I'm just like a much younger model. Yeah. <laughs> body. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I look. I feel that too, and I also feel that. Um. Yeah. I have a lot more freedom as an older woman than. You know, and we, for the next three weeks, you know, an older fuckable woman, um, <laughs> because it is what what I've found though is that with the Me Too movement, things have definitely changed. Oh, my light went out. <laughs> things have definitely changed. I have to put it back on again. Um, because oh, I'll just tell you a little story. When yeah. I was about eighteen, I have to turn my. Hang on, if I close this. Oh, that'll do. <laughs> Um, if I, and I'll open it again because I want fresh air because I'm, you know, don't want to smoke myself <laughs> to death. Yeah. But when I was about 18, I've never told this story. When I was about 18, I went into a pub in Trafalgar called the Criterion with my boyfriend at the time and two of his friends. And we walked into this pub and there were a few guys there. And the first thing they started doing was chanting, get your tits up on the bar get your tits up on the bar to me like they were chanting oh. it to me because I was the only female and I'm just like fuck and I sort of like just walked in going la 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 <laughs> I think my boyfriend was just wailing with pride oh. and you know that was the um that was the days you know that was what was going on in those days but the, the difference is now like you know well nobody really does that anymore and I'm sure that if someone if I walk into a bar now and someone shouted get your tits up on the bar I would be fucking getting my tits up on the bar <laughs> I'd be getting them up on the bar because they're still pretty good tits you know and so people don't do that anymore to me yeah. because they probably know that it's it's a bit scarier it's a bit scarier to uh to do that to an older woman but that yeah. you know that's the me too movement I I don't I have traumatized younger men <laughs> it's it's my turn I did have a I did have a um I, th I think you know, attitudes have, have shifted for the better, though. Yeah. yeah. There, 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 was, there was a lot of misogyny and sexism in society that, that was just overlooked, you know? Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Well, putting up with that and nobody saying a thing, none of my mates even commented. It was all just, oh, yeah, whatever, you know? And I'm like, yeah. shit. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's the way it was back then. And, actually, I was talking to a friend about how all my friends are very lovely my male friends you know and I've yeah. in the last kind of few years I've been involved in comedy I've never had any harassment I've never had any you know anything inappropriate or if it has been you know it was probably from me <laughs> but <laughs> I, as I was telling her I was walking along on the phone and I was getting into the car and these carload of young guys drove past and they yelled out show us your flap <laughs> oh geez, old man <laughs> show us your flap <laughs> and I'm like did you hear that to my friends? She goes, yeah. She goes, run after them. <laughs> <laughs> Ask them, are they sure? <laughs> so I ran what, after this What diamond wearing will be there? <laughs> it was like two o'clock on a Friday afternoon. It was really, you know, broad daylight. And I'm like, shit. You're lucky that I didn't catch up with them. <laughs> Seriously, though. 
that that is a, a different mentality that you have, you know, when you're getting older. And like, I'm more confident now. Yeah. But my, um, and that's why I think I'm okay to say my, like, be honest about my, in my comedy as well, you know, be honest about yeah. what's going on and, and how it, you know, and I think that's funnier. It's funnier comedy when you can, when you can bring out the truth. But as yeah. long as it has got a punchline though. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of comedians that just want attention, you know, and, and they get a bit of attention and they get a bit of a, a, a round of applause or, or, or laughter, and then they just, they just don't, they just keep seem, just kind of stop there and just repeat that, that revelatory thing, and it's like, no, yeah. man, you need to dig deeper. Once, once you've got the laughs, you can, you can always, you can always improve. Yeah, you know? go further. You can yeah. go to the next I, level. I, I worry because, like I said, I mean, a lot of my comedy is based in reality, for me and how I perceive things but at the same time as well it's very punchline based so I, I do find myself doing the same set over and over and it's like although there's literal punch there's literal truth based punchlines in there a lot of the time it's me doing the same material over and over and I feel like there's something different that I could be doing to to mm. access that side of myself more but I mean I'm, mm. I'm happy with my set I'm just yeah. constantly on this podcast whining about my, my set being too rigid you know like the same well but do you when you finish your set do you reflect on the set and think about oh how you could tweak this or change that or you know make a slight difference i obsess about that i've watched the recordings over Mm -hmm. and over and you know like yeah think think about why this joke didn't get a laugh that time look at the audience i mean i'm absolutely obsessed with it you know yeah i think that's good though Sometimes I feel vain at the amount of times I watch my my videos, but then I'm like, I, I remember how long it took me to actually even watch a video of myself doing comedy. You know, it's I, I'm looking past that mm-hmm. that not wanting that hate and looking at yourself and hearing your voice and just mm-hmm. and looking at your performance and trying to get better. And I feel yeah. like I have I have improved, but that's one area where I think I could be getting better is is not relying on that same set all the time. You know, but I, I'm doing the yeah, same set all the yeah. time. So. Mm. Well, have you found that with Zoom, say, for example, with the Unmuted, what I find is with the regulars, they really work hard to have new material yeah. each week because I think it's because they know they're getting a similar audience and they like there's some kind of ethics involved in just doing the same set each week to the same people, knowing that yeah. they've heard it before. And so I think people in Unmuted are really working hard to write new material for their, their sets each week. And I, I actually think that's a new thing about, like, that's come from Zoom. Yeah. But I, I don't they, know, man. They want to. Hmm? I, I'm, I've, I've always been, I wanted to do material that works and, and, and put in new bits and around it. This is structure of the set that it powers me, you know. This is structure of the set that keeps me going. But I'm not. I'm not going to write a new five minutes because I know. I know from experience that a new five minutes I write will not work. I mean, I might get a few laughs here and there, but the the, the things that don't get laughs will literally crush me, and that's yeah. something else I'll need to look into. You know, I mean, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm totally I'm totally happy with my set just now. You know, but I just that yeah. just that, that yeah. one issue that I, because I'm so busy I should be maybe doing more or or different or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But you don't want to get bored with yourself either. Yeah. And you don't, you don't, um, you know, I think you leave a lot of it and then just put in one new bit, you know, you don't, you don't, I made a rookie's mistake once 
trying new material and mostly new material for a big gig with a paid gig too far. And I mean, I've know, got another, I've got another done... set. I've got another set I've been working on in the background, like um, in writing trips and things like that. And I, but I'm not going to do really any of those jokes until it's a set, till it's a new five or ten. You know, mm. I've, I've got a joke. Mm. I'm, it's driving me absolutely crazy because I know it could be a killer. It's about Tinder, and it's like reading the book "Men Are From Women," "Men Are From Mars" and "Women Are From Venus," which implies that we're, you know, basically. Like aliens visiting each other but if you said I come in peace if I, I said if, it would be too weird to say I come in peace on a Tinder date like <laughs> I know there's a, a good one. I know there's an absolute belter joke in there I just don't know how to set it up and then just deliver it. that yeah, punchline just, just, yeah. just doing it like that just then you could just slide that into your set yeah. easily that was that was perfect just to get started <laughs> That yeah. made me laugh straight away. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, but it's just, uh, but it's, um, again, it's, that's part of another set now that I'm concentrating and trying to make that set. And then I'll maybe, maybe I'll, I'll jump in and out the sets or whatever, or I'll use this and that joke. But for me, it's, mm. it's, 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 it's a weird one because my, my comedy is very based on who I am and things like that, but it's very structured mm. and very punchline based, you know? It's, mm. um, mm. I, it's just, I'm just another one of these loon balls going about doing comedy, obsessed with things that nobody else would ever think about. <laughs> well, you know, it's a lifelong process too. I yeah. think that's one of the things I really appreciated getting into comedy is that you don't ever have to stop, you know, you can keep yeah. going and you can like, I can, I've just got this imagined like scene when I'm in my 80s with dementia coming out of doing a gig and and saying to people you know oh well you know uh, well you know puppetry of the penis has had a good go so now I think it's time for origami of the flaps <laughs> and um as an 80 year old coming out <laughs> doing origami of the flaps can, I, can, I, can like, I suggest can I suggest origami of the asshole that sounds better. origami of the what Origami of the asshole. Of the asshole. Oh, that could work. That sounds better. Have, it's got a nice ring to it. Have, <laughs> what I'm trying to put in though there is like I want to start making it, you know, interactive so you can have the vagina dialogue. <laughs> you know, so it's not just the monologues. We've got the vagina dialogue Dialogues going on. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have like ventriloquists on the side doing the voices and you know like anyway and I, I got this idea of you know being 80 and not giving a shit and coming out and doing that kind of comedy because it's the biggest selling um comic performers in australia uh, internationally known performers are the puppetry of the penis guys right yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean that is that is the that's the bar <laughs> i don't think i've ever actually seen the right though I've just seen a, the hamburger or something. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, well, I, I mean, could do I could do the I could do the water slide. I haven't seen I haven't seen I could seen... do the overnight bag. I could do the, I've had three kids, I could do the overnight bag. <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen a lot of I have I haven't seen puppetry of the penis do the hamburger, but just from the description I feel like I have. <laughs> You could go try it now. But see, this is why I've been working on my material during lockdown. You know? 
is the kind of stuff my ex hated, by the way. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> Actually, my, my girlfriend just now is really, really supportive. Like, um, I, 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 I worried about doing like Tinder material when I was dating someone before, and I kind of, I've had two kind of really bad relationships in the time I've been doing comedy, and one of them was with somebody I wasn't even dating. So, it's been the past in lockdown. It's been, um, it's been great to, to have somebody so supportive. Like, not judge me or you know bring bring her own personal issues into what I'm saying on stage you know it's and she's, yeah, she's yeah, massively supportive yeah and, and, and she's she like yeah she, she's a brilliant joke brometer as well sometimes she won't get a joke because she doesn't get the reference points which bothers me if there isn't any reference <laughs> points in the joke but like she'll laugh genuinely <laughs> laugh like but if something's not funny she'll just be like you know and, and you know you know from that that she's she's in it. you're Elaine. She's your Elaine. She's your Elaine. You're Seinfeld and she's your Elaine. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's um, no, it's it's because dating when you're doing comedy, like you say, it's like it's can be fraught for you can you know if somebody's doing comedy, they can be competitive. If somebody's not doing comedy, they can be judgmental. And in in either case, mm. they can be both. You know, so it's um. Yeah, yeah. There's and there's a lot of egos involved. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. I mean, like. Yeah, it's um I mean sometimes you're up on the stage and you're sitting there getting a great response from the audience, but you're you're looking at somebody who you you, you feel close to who you're at, you're you're a really close friend looking at you with pure rage and you're like and it's because mm -hmm. you're doing well, you know, and it's it, it really yeah. activates something mm. wow. primal in you. You're just like, Whoa, wait a minute, that's they they're they're not happy Perfect. with this. Yeah, like professional you know. jealousy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but if, if that yeah. gets wrapped up, if that gets wrapped up in the emotions of a friendship, a, a close friendship, then it, it becomes very hard to deal yeah. with. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be careful. Like, if you're going to hurt people, then that's another factor. Like, I, I did a bit yeah. that my mum didn't like, and I felt bad about it. You know, I was like, wow, that's fucked. Because I love that joke. Gets a really big yeah. laugh, but if she's really unhappy about it, I don't want to hurt her. You know. So you sort of have yeah, to totally. you have to sense yourself for your relationship. You don't want to be an asshole. Yeah, but it's um, it's not it's not necessarily just that. It's just it's just the kind of what happens when we do comedy. You know, it's. Mm. Yeah, it's, you um, don't necessarily know yeah. someone's going to get offended by yeah. something until you do it. Yeah, but it's yeah. um. Sometimes people can, offence can come right out of left field as well. It can come from areas you just absolutely did not intend. But also as well, it can come from areas where you deliberately ignored the, the thought that this might offend somebody just because you thought it was a good punchline. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, but the, the, the power yeah. of this punchline will overcome any yeah. any negative feeling yeah. that comes out of it, you know? You're like, the comedy messiah yeah. comes into effect again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This punchline yeah. will change everything. Like. yeah. I feel like some people do cross the line there and I, I an example would be Jim Jeffries when he did, I don't know if you saw his special where he talks about how he was doing a set about babies dying and he asked this person in the audience why his wife was looking upset and the guy said, oh, because she's just lost her baby and this was our first night out yeah. since the miscarriage. Yeah, yeah, and then the next time he did that, though, he really, I thought, punched down about that lady because he said, yeah. oh, you know, if, now at least everybody's had a big laugh about her losing her baby. And I just yeah. thought, nah, that's 
that's not fair. That really isn't, that makes me feel really uncomfortable and it makes you look like an asshole. I don't think that joke was yeah. worth it, you know? There's and it makes me not like his comedy anymore because yeah. he seems not to care. So yeah. I think you still have to have a sense of caring yeah. about responsibility. It's like an art. That's, it's a sense yeah. of responsibility yeah. you have to have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So mm. that's why it's an art form and you've sort of got yeah. to be... Um, conscious of humans but some people should shouldn't go to comedy so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. some people are better off not going to comedy i think because yeah. you know they are so very triggered by lots of things and um i don't know look i'm i don't think my comedy is too upsetting except to my ex <laughs> <laughs> but i once did a joke when i was just trying to play around with this marriage um equality and i i said if you don't think that gays can be just as miserable in marriage as heterosexuals, then you're a bigot. And <laughs> oh. that was, and I, I had people walk out of that. And um, but that's my, the, 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 my, but, but it's it's that 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 right there is a quality. Obviously, they're going to be as fucked as us if they're married. You no, know, yeah. as, as straight people, you know, it's it's it, that, that is a quality. It's and it's you can't you can't make yeah, out that there's something. Yeah. There's something sort of supernaturally special yeah. just just to protect something. Yeah. It's you know it's yeah. If you if you can't like, humanizing you know, I thought, I thought that, that joke, to, to me that joke was humanizing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I said my parents fucked me up, and you can't say that just because they're gay that they're not going to fuck their own children up. And if you do, then you're a bigot. Yeah. And that's how I got really like people got really offended by that, and I was like, oh, I really didn't think that was meant to be offensive towards gay people I thought that was meant to be offensive towards hetero married people with children <laughs> who were asshole parents you know no, no to, to me that was that uh, was an observ that, that was an observation that of actual equality which is what everything is do you know what I mean? it doesn't matter your culture your background your your ethnicity what country you're from what, even in a lot of cases what opinions you hold and things like that people should be seen yeah. as absolutely equal you know especially on yeah. the stage in an audience you know hmm yeah, so it's 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 quite, it's quite funny that comedy is for such a uniting force. It's often such a divisive thing, you know. Yes, yes, yes. So, like, you know, one of my favourites is um is um uh, Ricky Gervais. He is like yeah. one of my absolute favourites, and he goes places where nobody goes, and yeah. I love it. He's so hilarious, but he's okay with people getting offended because. You know, he's coming from a place where he's like making observations, and yeah. you know, he's not actually. I don't think he's doing what people think. Yeah. I just love him. Do you like Ricky Gervais? Yeah, I love Ricky Gervais. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times he's. Pers I, I didn't like him um, when I first seen him years ago, like twenty years ago, in the Eleven O'Clock Show. I thought he was an asshole, but then I seen The Office, and I seen some of his stand up, and I seen mm. more things he'd done, and you know, he gradually kind of warmed to that. Embittered persona. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it's yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, True. yeah. The Afterlife series really made him sort of seem a lot more human. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, he, and, he, and, and to, this, to this day, he says and does things on Twitter or whatever he makes. And it, I, I would never watch one of his YouTube videos where he rants for half an hour. You know, I'm just like, oh, fuck off. Go, go and refine yeah. that down to a set and I'll watch that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, same, same. Now, com comedians, when they're being doing their TED talks, are boring. Yeah. 
They are, I don't know, um, someone suggested Russell Brand was a comedian and I said, no, he's not. He's just an egotist who wants to tell you what he thinks and he's not really funny. He takes too long to get to the point. <laughs> he's really good in his comic, he's really good in his comic roles though, but he's yeah. not a, he's not a comedian. I liked a couple of his specials like 15 years ago. But yeah. I, was, I was kind of surprised like that they actually did find them funny, you know. I knew him from presenting the UK version of Big Brother, um, the, the kind of the, the highlight show or whatever, or something. He was on some Big Brother show, and I, I didn't oh, like really? him. Oh, really? And then, then, I, mm. then I caught one of his specials, and I was like, this guy's actually quite funny. And then, of course, he, he's like the definition of a messiah, comedy messiah. He calls yeah. himself that, you know, and it's, it's like he's kind of making a joke yeah. of it, but he actually dresses <laughs> in the robes and things. So you're like, wait a minute, this guy's an <laughs> asshole, you know, <laughs> but he's capable of being very funny, you know, like. But, um, there are a few comics that think they're a bit of a messiah, though. Yeah, oh, it's, it's it, I mean, it's, when I first started, I genuinely thought I was going to change comedy in, within a year, you know? I'm like, oh, look at, look at me, look at me, I've got, I've got some ideas. Ago? Oh, two, 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 two and a bit years ago. Like, because, I mean, I totally smashed my first few sets, like, absolutely smashed it mm. from somebody that had no intention of doing comedy, you know? And, like, mm. I've described it as this exact way in this podcast before but I remember watching the film called Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and Al Pacino's characters like I'll buy you some gum and show you how to chew it like you know like because that, that was that's the attitude when you think you're you, you think you're absolutely special you know and it's um mm. you soon find out that there's a lot more to this game than just getting um just smashing your first gig you know like as long as it's fun, you know, that's yeah. the main thing, I think. And, and the code in, I don't know if it's code for you guys, but in Melbourne, it's code after you do a gig. If someone asks you, did you have fun? And you say yes, that means you reckon you did a good gig. You felt good about it. Yeah. You thought it was a good gig. So it, I, you never ask someone, you know, did they think they did a good gig? You just ask them, yeah. did they have fun? Yeah. And that's a good thing to kind of keep in mind if you had fun. Well, then it was a good gig, isn't it? For a long time, I, I wasn't having any fun in comedy. Like for a good, mm-hmm. I mean, I just I just wasn't having any fun doing it. I was just I was just on on the um, on on engagements, you know. I was I was just turning up and doing my doing my gig, and I was getting laughs and things like that. But I just I was my my personal life at the time, which I'm not going to get into, was an absolute shit show, you know. And I just mm. I just oh, I just wasn't happy at all, and I, I was showing on on a lot of my gigs, you know. But I, I wasn't in a position to just suddenly make my personal life better for the sake of doing a better gig. You know, I just had to kind of, kind of get through a bad time. Yeah. But um, it's just kind of weird in lockdown because my, my personal life has been pretty okay. When the world's a complete shit show, you know? It's like, you same. So I've, I've, I have been enjoying doing the gigs more, you know? Even though I've not actually technically been at a gig or left the house. <laughs> Well, me too. Like when I started doing the gigs with Unmuted, I I have done more gigs this year in lockdown than I had done probably in the two years prior to to lockdown. Yeah. And also some other of my friends who I thought were pretty funny and I wanted them to try stand up, they didn't want to go out. They didn't want to go to those kind of pubs and the open mic scene which is very kind of I guess it's pretty macho yeah and they just didn't feel comfortable in that scene and um but through the zoom gigs they 
I don't know, was Georgia on when you were on at all? Georgia, in her bed or in her so. backyard? No, hmm. I don't, no, no. Anyway, she is great. And she just started doing comedy this year when she started doing it on Zoom. Hmm. So cool. I think, you know. There's been a few people with that. Yeah? yeah I, had, I had two two people that just started doing comedy on the Zoom scene, um, on, on the podcast, um, talking about just, like you know how they anticipate the comedy scene to be, but um, but um, hopefully you know we'll all get back in stage and we can all talk about that in uh, in the new year. But it's been absolutely great to have you on. Um, and have you got anything else yep. that you want to plug before before I go? No, um, just that you know we'll be getting back into unmuted. I'm having a bit of a break. By the end of the year, I was pretty exhausted with everything that I had on my plate with children and work and I run a business and I'm a charity and I'm a clinical educator at La Trobe Uni and I you know I just and unmuted as well and I just kind of lost all energy I was so depleted and I thought I'll just have a bit of a break for a couple of weeks and I wasn't even sure if I was going to continue with it because you know it's a lot of work but I've been getting so many people saying, oh, when's the next one? When's the next one? And I thought, all right, well, if I have a bit of a break and then start up again on the 11th of Jan, then um, why not? We'll see how it goes. Maybe bigger and better things. Yeah. We should get you on doing a MC one night. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, like the, um, I like the team up. Maybe you and Kim Nash could team up on... <laughs> I'll just all that will happen is I will just continually insult Kim. <laughs> Have you? Yeah. So anyway, I've co-hosted with him before, but I just sometimes I, I can't help myself with him. I just I just, I just rip into him. <laughs> I, I really like that. I really like you know, him, Kim. I really like him. Yeah, I like I like him too. And but he yeah. takes it, you know. He takes. It. I just noticed something yeah, yeah. in the chat. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I just saw that message. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, let's, you know, try. We've got already got some new chick from New York wants to come on and she was excited because of just the thread that we got chatting in on Displaced Comedians. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I'm loving, like, that last podcast I listened to, you were, you were um, talking about all the other different types of open mics and I've, been, I've done Tokyo now, Tokyo Open Mic. And <laughs> I, did the, I did the good one in New York and... You know, it was like, uh, people have say if they have to get up early, I'm like, yeah. you know, you just, you think you have to get up early, but you haven't got hair, you know. <laughs> I, I, know I, I, noticed that, I noticed that at the last gig, there was a, an act from New York that had to get up at four in the morning and they were fucking raging about it. They were like, I had to get up at 4 a.m. for this. And it's like, well, yeah, it's an Australian gig. You signed up for it. It's like, go blame us. <laughs> That was Kathy. I think that was Kathy, the one talking about the snake. Yeah, it was just, it was just, I had to go up at 4 a.m. for this. This isn't isn't showbiz. I'm glad. (laughs) It's a bucket list, 24-7 comedy. Great. But yeah, I I have to get up. If it's a 7 a.m. gig, I have to get up at 6 a.m. just for the hair. Like, so just (laughs) a little bit of, a little bit of empathy for people with hair. (laughs) You have some hair. That's work, that well, joke works well with bald people. That joke works really well. I can I can pick out a bald person. I was watching but, um, something with Art Garfunkel the other day. 
you know, Simon Garfunkel. Yeah. And that, I think that's got to take the credit for being the most impressive hairstyle of all time. How can you be baldy and have an afro? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 I, th- I, th- I think he was trying to. I, th- I think he, he stumbled onto something that's been forgotten in time. It was bald, and he had an afro. It's just it's so much. You're evil. right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, that is that is diversity right there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, it has been. We've covered a lot, and you heard my life story, and you know, heard some of my jokes and. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Jimmy, and getting to know yeah, it's you. Been great to have you on. Thanks man. for doing the podcast. That's yeah, okay, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Enjoyed it. And um, hopefully, I'll have you back on in the new year, and um, we can talk about the return sure. to live comedy for us all. But um, cheers! Thanks yeah, very much, Paul. Look, no worries. We'll, we'll try and get a um, a plane load of you out to Melbourne. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to hold you. Oh man, that'll be that'll be a big party. But seriously, I, I can set up an iPad for you for my... I'm going to turn 50. I'm, I'm doing a gig on my 50th. They've right. made me headliner. I said, you can't make me headliner. I'm like, there's all these... They said, you can choose the lineup. So I've choose all, chosen all my, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, but you, you have to be headliner because otherwise everyone's just going to go out the back drinking with the party girl. <laughs> and, um, and I said, all right, I'll be headliner. But what, what I should do is set up a like a zoom thing so that you can you know you can be there for the my 50th gig oh, would you like that yeah it'd be brilliant yeah 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 thanks for the invitation it's a friday night it'll be a friday night so you'd just be you'd be there on the be like saturday like morning for me <laughs> friday morning wouldn't it saturday morning you're ahead of us it's monday night monday night here is monday morning for you is it monday night now yeah. all right so what it would be friday morning oh, i don't know i don't know i don't know what what time is it there for you it's, right now? It's um, half past eleven on a Monday morning, so ha- you're right. Yeah, so it's yeah. Ha- it's yeah, so you would be Friday morning. Yeah. <laughs> you can see us all losing it. You can see yeah. us all losing it on yeah. the Friday night. That'd be so much fun having you. I'd be walking around with you with my iPad and you could <laughs> set up some drinks. That'd be fun. We should try it. We should try it. Okay, Get some friends you're back coming on the podcast. Come back on the podcast and talk about it. But it's been great talking to you. And um, yeah, hopefully see you soon. Same. Yeah, same. So I might even just say to people next unmuted. Oh well, the eleventh is the official, but maybe if people want to catch up, we could sort of sure. just have an informal chat, catch up if we people wanted to. Because I'm going to miss everyone. This is the thing about unmuted is we've really kind of developed friendships, and it doesn't feel like yeah. they're just two D friendships. Well, you know, they feel like pod- three. We've talked about it in the podcast before, man. I'm sure I'm sure there are things that will survive, the friendships will survive. But um again, it's been great talking to you. I'll speak to you later. Paula, thank you. Okay, yeah, my lights just went. Okay, bye. I'll let you just Manamana. Manamana. Manamana.